Welcome to the Big Tent here on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM Caldwell, Boise. I'm your host, Charlie Hunt, and we're breaking some new ground today. I am joined by not just one, but by two of my fellow co-hosts, uh, Jackie Kettler and Luke Fowler, are both here on this enterprising Zoom call, and we are crossing our fingers that it will work and that technology will do us a solid. How's it going, Jackie? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. I'm doing. I'm hanging in there. Luke, how about you? I'm doing well. I'm very, very interested in the semester getting done with because I'm a, a little <laughs> mentally exhausted from all of it, but I'm surviving. Well, speaking of mental exhaustion, uh, let's talk about coronavirus. So one thing we wanted to talk about here that's certainly gotten a lot of attention, but that you know we haven't discussed so much because we're kind of waiting to see how things play out is some how partisanship and how you know how parties and elections and things like that play a role here in response to the coronavirus and public opinion so you know luke what are some things you've been noticing about how partisanship plays in here i mean is is the national response to this sort of full unification is it really divisive, just like everything else? Where on that spectrum do you see uh, the COVID-19 response playing out? Uh, I'm not going to call it like completely divisive, but I think it's more partisan than nonpartisan, right, uh, for the most part. Um, and I mean, it, it's one of those, it's this crazy thing, Greg. I, I think we're all, uh, the three of us are all old enough to remember September 11th. And that seemed like a really bipartisan moment, like something that was bigger than any political party that was about the nation. And this is a moment that seems just as big, but it's really been about parties, right? And it's been, uh, been about that same partisan conflict. And it's kind of crazy that I think if you would have uh, asked me, you know, three months ago, if something this big would happen, like, would we expect that, like, what would have been the trajectory that we would have see happen in some of this partisan conflict? And I really would have liked to say, like, oh, wait, partisanship wouldn't be a big thing. But I think deep down what I know what I've said is we will continue doing the same things that we've always done, right? Or at least we've done lately. And that's exactly what we've seen, right? Um, and so me and Jackie have been working on some projects related to this. But exactly what, like, we've seen Democratic governors been very aggressive in challenging the Republican president, which has happened for the last three years. Uh, it happened during the switching parties for the eight years during the Obama administration, right? We've seen Republicans support their president. Same thing that we've seen for the last three years, switch under the Obama administration, right? Um, so we see the same type of partisan gatherings, the same type of partisan reactions. But you also see this in the polling data, which I find just equally as interesting, right? I mean, Republicans are overwhelmingly likely not to trust the news media. Um, they're far more likely to trust President Trump. Um, they're far, well, they're slightly less likely to trust public health experts, doctors, and scientists on this. I mean, so we're really falling back into those same patterns that we have everywhere else. And as I keep telling my students, what's really interested in this as a political scientist is the things that take years and decades to see in normal policy processes, like say climate change, we're seeing in days and weeks. And so it's just so quickly to watch this happen. And it's weird because all the patterns are lining up. I um, mean, it's happening exactly how you would expect uh, for coming from people that have studied this, you know, their entire adult lives. Do you, Jackie or Luke, do you, do you all think that that is this sort of lining up behind partisanship that's happening right now, you know, maybe to an extent that we haven't seen before with, you know, a, a national tragedy of this kind, like a 9-11? Do we think that's because of, like, really long-term trends about partisanship, or do we think that's because of, you know, increasingly partisan 
rhetoric coming from our leaders, whether that's President Trump or, or anyone else, whether it's these it's some of the governors Luke just mentioned that have been pretty vocal in their response. Do we think that's something that's more elite driven or do we think that's something that's kind of a, been a long simmering, uh, you know, kind of phenomenon? Could be a bit of a mix. Um, definitely. I mean, I think there's starting to be some research kind of thinking about how elite messaging um, about especially coronavirus and responses and things may be influencing people's beliefs about um, the virus as well as responding to it. But I also think that there are some partisan or ideological leanings that may also be impacting um, behavior that we see. So it, I think it's, it may be a bit of a mix. I, I think to a large extent, uh, people don't know how out else to behave right now. September 11th was really the last time we've ran into this type of above all else, like national moment, so to speak, right? Something that really should and does transcend uh, political rhetoric. I mean, that was 20 years ago, right? And very few people that were leading the country then were there. A lot of the people that are now actively engaged in politics now um, don't really remember what it was like at that time. I mean, I was in high school then. God, I'm getting old. Uh, but, uh, like, I, I don't think most people understand, like, what it is. And so they just kind of – I mean, this became business as usual when it's very much anything but business as usual to a certain extent. Um, and I certainly don't think the messaging that we're getting from – um, political elites, and I mean, namely the White House has helped in this at all, um, particularly as uh, our president has seemed to, to comment on uh, time and time again about his approval ratings, um, his image, and like how this is important for his personal brand, to so to speak. Um, and I think that's just underlining that this is more normal stuff and there's not bigger consequences for the nation, the institutions, or really just human life, right? Um, and so I, I think it's kind of a mixture of things, like as Jackie said. And it is interesting that we're also seeing some splits within within parties, right, especially in some um, Republican states like Idaho, where you have some of the Republican Party kind of protesting or fighting against uh, the Republican governor's stay-at-home order. And so I think there are some interesting differences that we're seeing within um, ideologies, like within the Republican Party. And I think, Jackie, along with that, there's an interest in, there's a way in which this is a really interesting test for the Republican Party, because, you know, the way these orders are coming down, you know, true stay at home orders, this is of these are very drastic steps and very, frankly, kind of big governmenty steps that maybe liberals would tend to be, you know, would, would tend to support more than much more conservative voters, which obviously tend to be Republicans. And so you're starting to see some of these cracks in places like Idaho and some of these other uh, states that maybe are where Republican governors are starting to ease restrictions even sooner or maybe haven't even issued stay-at-home orders. Where you, whereas you have other Republican governors like Larry Hogan in Mar Maryland, who, you know, Maryland is obviously a pretty blue state, but of the Republican governors, he's probably been most vocal in his in his response to President Trump as sort of a negative response, though, you know, even some of these stories I've I've read about him usually will have a headline like Republican Governor Hogan slams President Trump. And like what he said was like, you know, I think I slightly disagree with the president on that one. <laughs> like that's that's <laughs> the bar for slamming the president for a member of his own party. And so that's, I think, an interesting I, I think you identify a really interesting split within the Republicans here. Yeah. And I, 
I, I think this really gives uh, um, us a great chance to try to tease out the differences between ideology and partisanship right now, because um, that always ends up being a challenge. But, uh, you know, one of the things that, and I've, I've had this conversation with Jackie, one of the things I think is so interesting right now is that Democratic governors are essentially fighting for states' rights. And that's right. their traditional Republican stance. And Republican governors have been so willing to fall in line behind the national government and the president, and they've conventionally not been willing to do that. Like traditionally, like they've built an entire party on that. And so it's so weird to see them almost switching positions because of who's in the White House. And so, I mean, I think there is a lot of ideological tensions because by sheer nature that the, or I guess coincidence or whatever you want to call it, that the Republicans are, are in control of a lot of Congress right now, or a lot of our, our national institutions state, like we're reacting to this differently then I think if this was under the Obama administration, I think a lot of governors would be switching positions. And I think a lot of people would be switching positions about where they fit, uh, stand. And so I think there's, there's an element of partisanship here and there's an element of ideology and it's really causing a lot of confusion for people. Yeah, and I think, you know, one final thing here is, you know, Luke, you mentioned in terms of the public opinion and support for certain measures. You know, there is a way in which this is cutting through in some ways. I mean, we, we all in some way sort of study partisanship for a living. We know how partisan everything has gotten. Basically, every issue anyone's ever heard of cuts along party lines. But still, you know, polls about this issue, for example, that ask, you know, are you more worried that governors are going to lift restrictions too quickly and uh, risk public health? Or are you worried that they're not going to lift them quickly enough and risk hurting the economy even more? Even a majority of Republicans are more concerned about the restrictions being lifted too quickly. That's there's a much bigger split among that among that party than among Democrats who almost uniformly support keeping the restrictions in place. But this does seem to be an issue that is at least having some staying power, which, you know, again, maybe not so high a bar for today's moment, but but it is there. You're listening to the Big Tent on Radio Boise. Um, we will be right back after a short break. Welcome back to the Big Tent here on Radio Boise. I'm your host, Charlie Hunt, here with my co-hosts, Luke Fowler and Jackie Kettler. Just a little bit more coronavirus, and then I pr promise we have a special surprise for our third segment that we hope will bring a smile to your face. Uh, but for now, just wanted to check in uh, with you two. Haven't talked to you in a couple of weeks on the show. Just thought we'd check in and see how our intrepid co-hosts are holding up you know, what are we doing to adapt any fun daily routines, new skills, new habits? Luke, what have, what have you been up to uh, in lockdown? Uh, you know, honestly, Charlie, I've been uh, trying to stick to my routine of work, uh, working on research, teaching my classes and all that. Um, there's only so much Netflix you can watch. And as you two know, but our listeners may not, me and my wife are currently in the process of remodeling our house. Um, so... I try to get some work done there when I can, and I'm not too otherwise tiresome, but it's been an interesting transition. Uh, I think the one, you know, actual hobby that me and my wife have is going out to eat, and that's what we've kind of learned lately is like, oh, wait, that's the one thing that we actually did go and do all the time, and now we can't do that. So we're adjusting to that. Honestly, I think uh, one of our dogs really loves us being home all the time, and the other one's over it and is ready for us both to go back to work. Um, I think he's tired of he wants to get back to his routine of sleeping on the couch all day and not having people walk around the house and bother him. Yeah, I think our dog goes through moments of like, oh, this is great. And then other moments like, oh, why is someone always in the house? Now, granted, my husband always works from home. So this is 
for us, it's only slightly different. He's still on a normal schedule. That helps me stay on a normal schedule. Um, but it's as someone who's pretty social and used to seeing students and colleagues, you know, I really miss engaging with people regularly. And Luke, you were talking about like your hobby being going out to eat. And yeah, I mean, like I, I definitely feel like there is gaps in my life now, right? Where I'm not out engaging with people near as much. So that's been a transition. Um, but I think, you know, I, the nice weather is so helpful. It's nice to go out, take walks, those types of things. I admit it is nice to live somewhere that is, you know, we live in a, I would say a major-ish city, uh, but not quite as dense as somewhere like, I mean, obviously New York City, which is going through a really kind of unique challenge. But, you know, we all sort of live in places where we can at least feel comfortable leaving our homes and walking around the block or, you know, social distancing while walking through the foothills or something like that. And I'm very grateful to be in that kind of position, whereas I know that you know, several of my friends who live in the New York City area, I mean, there's a lot of, I think, even upped tension about just about leaving your apartment or going out the door uh, just because it's such a densely packed area. So I'm, def- I'm very grateful for that. But I also, you know, having just moved here last year, I feel like I was just getting started with uh, exploring the area and checking out all the bars and the restaurants and I wanted to get into the going out to eat habit of my own and I was only just getting started but uh but that's okay they'll uh you know they'll they'll be there when we're done so so what is your uh what is y'all's opinion of the curbside to go trend that is happening now really not just in Boise and everybody else are you a delivery or curbside to go well which one is your your preference well, we live a little far for delivery, so we've been doing a lot of curbside. And one nice advantage is curbside alcohol, <laughs> like cur- being able to pick up cocktails from restaurants. I, that, that's kind of a nice benefit. Um, but I, I think we've been we've been trying every weekend to kind of rotate what restaurants or or breweries that we're picking things up from to help support different local businesses. Yeah, same. I, I, I mean, I've done a little bit of the curbside stuff, though. I, I, I tend to live close enough for delivery for most of the places I like, and uh, I've gotten lazier and lazier as this, uh, as this is dragged on. So, I've definitely indulged a few times. Uh, but yeah, I mean, a lot of these businesses have been really great about you know having free delivery and wanting to sort of to stay engaged and stay in people's lives, just because. I don't know about you guys. I'm I'm an okay cook. I'm not great. If I were productive, I might use this time to try and become a better cook. But uh, since I don't necessarily see that happening, um, I'll continue to get delivery at least a couple of times a week if I can possibly spare it. You know, I kind of like the uh, curbside to go versus delivery because it gives me an excuse and, and me and my wife an excuse to get out of the house for a little while and just like drive across town and not really feel guilty about just driving around town, but actually have, you know, somewhere to go. Uh, Jackie, it's funny about that you brought up the alcohol thing. Uh, I was talking to my dad in Mississippi last weekend, and apparently they are not doing the curbside to go on alcohol or deliver, delivering alcohol there. So he was very shocked when I was like, oh, yeah, you could just order beer and they'll bring it to your door. And I was like, God, I wish they would have had this when I was in high school, but apparently they just came up with it. <laughs> I mean, for, we live in a state that has on some elements that are stricter in 
terms of alcohol and, and liquor licensing. So um, that's been kind of nice to see some of those regulations, uh, you know, soften a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, Luke, you mentioned just the, the how exciting it is to take a car ride. And that's one thing that I've really enjoyed is just like once or twice in the weekend to get in the car and drive somewhere. Yeah, I mean, we, and I mean, we have usually about once a week, we at least have been having these kinds of faculty Zoom happy hours on, on Friday afternoons. And I know it sounds cheesy, but it's so great to see other people's faces besides my dogs. No offense. He's sitting right by me now. But it's just it's great to talk to everyone, though. I, I got to say, like the Zoom social socializing is not quite the same. There is definitely a missing element there. Uh, and I'm looking forward to sort of going back to normal at some point. So my wife's friends on the element of socializing, my wife's friends have gotten her into an app called House Party. And I was trying to explain this to Jackie uh, and another friend of ours the other day, and I don't quite understand it. But from what I understand, it's kind of like you start video conferencing um, with a friend, but then any of their friends or any of your friends can then join. And so it's kind of like going to a house party where you just kind of meet a lot of people that are there. Um, and then, you know, as many people as possible can join your little chat and you get to know new people. And I, she was, my wife was explaining this to me and I was thinking like, God, I would hate that. But it actually sounds like something that uh, Jackie might enjoy. <laughs> Meet some new people. Maybe we'll have to have a big tent house party. Yeah. I like it. It sounds like a party line or something back in the day, like that you would have for your That's phone. Right. <laughs> Just, you know, other people join. Yeah. Us. As you're watching, uh, reading your Tiger Beak magazine. okay i wasn't we didn't have a party line that's like decades before me but (laughs) all right well we're we're heading back to the 90s at least here uh on the big tent but uh we'll we'll be right back here after a short break and then we'll have we promise a fun topic to talk about we'll be right back welcome back to the big 10 on radio boise and I'm here with Charlie Hunt and Jackie Kettler, and we're having our uh, internet podcast uh, show this week because of the massive pandemic that I'm sure all of our listeners are are fully aware of. And while we talked about it during the first two segments, um, as Charlie promised, we're going to do something a little bit more fun and entertaining this last segment. And we're going to talk about stories that have nothing to do with the pandemic. And after all day of us Googling and trying to find stories to come up with, we really only settled on two that were worth talking about. Um, and they're both sports related, which is fantastic because Jen Schneider's not here this week and she hates talking about <laughs> sports. So we're doing her a favor by talking about it this week. Yes. I mean, I, I can see her eyes roll back in her head right now. Like I'm just imagining that as soon as I said sports. Uh, but so the two big, uh, I guess, stories in the sports world that have gone on that are you know, somewhat a uh, general interest are one that Tom Brady has left the New England Patriots and been traded to the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, which is a huge story. Um, six-time Super Bowl champion. Um, some call him the greatest of all time. Uh, he's only ever played for the Patriots, and now he's no longer playing there. And then yesterday it was announced that Rob Gronkowski, um, his tight end, who won four Super Bowls with him, five Super Bowls with him. Charlie, correct me. I think only three with Gronk, but okay, uh, only three. Yeah, <laughs> has caught more TD pa- t- touchdown passes from Tom Brady than anyone else. Is coming out of retirement to play for the Buccaneers as well. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of exciting. It is a non-coronavirus story, I believe. Uh, Charlie. 
as a native of Rhode Island, has very strong feelings about the New England Patriots that he would like to share with us? Well, I mean, I, I would not uh, venture to say that I'm among the very most diehard New England Patriots fans, um, which is probably a good thing because we're, we're a wild bunch. But I mean, I actually, when when I first discovered that, that Brady was leaving, which was right around when when a lot of this really, the coronavirus stuff really started to get out of control, I was not surprised. I mean, we were sort of prepped for this. We knew that his contract was ending. I personally was supportive of him retiring. Um, like, he had a great season last year. He had won the Super Bowl the year before. He had won two out of the last three. And it seemed like a great way to go out on top. And he is getting older. And i actually supportive of him doing whatever he wants. What I don't want to see, like, personally for him is to sort of go the Brett Favre or in some ways Peyton Manning route of sort of petering out over his last couple seasons and sort of, you know, shrinking away in the in his last season. I, I would have loved to, I thought he should have retired after he won the Super Bowl two years ago and then really go out on top. But, but it was much harder to then see uh, Gronkowski go because it'll be just too weird seeing those two connecting for passes in a different uniform. It'll be like watching a weird, bizarro reality. And I and I understand that they're, you know, that they should do what they want. But, uh, man, that is, that is going to hurt to watch next year. And Gronk threatened to unretire during the, the past season, right? <laughs> right. And, I mean, he was, I mean, I was disappointed that he re- retired just because, I mean, obviously because he's one of the best tight ends in history. But... Also because he's just an incredibly entertaining figure and he's kind of like the the anti Tom Brady in a way like he, cl- he like goes out partying he like does not seem to take care of his body all that well and he's really loud and like obnoxious and wonderful but it's kind of I mean it's touching in a way that the two of them I have to imagine they planned this and talked together about this like that this didn't just wasn't just happenstance that Brady probably had some kind of inkling that a deal with Gronk was in the works but like it's it's going to be entertaining, but really sad for me to watch them next season if we have a next season. Well, so for the sports fans out there, I think you understand the gravity of this story. But for the non-sports fans, just know this will be the storyline that is talked about pretty much week in, week out uh, next year, right? I mean, we're really what whatever happens, this is what's going to be talked about. Um, was the six Super Bowls in New England, was it Bill Belichick? Was it Tom Brady? Everything that's going on. Um, and so this will this will capture everybody's uh, imagination for a while. Well, I think it's also getting a lot of attention because a lot of teams have stopped doing much right now. Even at the collegiate level, like the NCAA basketball teams, they're not there's no coach turnover like usual. Um, and so we really don't have any sports stories to talk about. Well, you know, it's funny you say that, Jackie, because like as much as there's this like. Uh, news industry that's built up around politics it doesn't shut up all the time there's a similar one that's built up around sports that doesn't shut up and it just goes and goes and goes and the thing is all that political news has just been talking about coronavirus but all this sports news has nothing to talk about right and so they have just been grasping at straws on everything because there's no news stories they can only talk about so long that the fact that nothing's happening in the league and nothing you know um but so one and kind of a, a segue here Uh, is one of the big stories that has captured a lot of people's attention is there's a new Michael Jordan uh, uh, documentary out, right? It's called The Last Dance, and it's about his time with the Chicago Bulls, and namely the last season um, in which they they won a a championship. Um, And it's 
it's been interesting to watch, especially been interesting to listen to the commentary because it's at a time when everybody really misses sports, or I think a lot of people miss the sports, and it's reminding everybody just how good Michael Jordan was, uh, particularly a, a lot of younger fans that might not remember him, and they, they grew up in the LeBron era. But, you know, it's just a reminder of how good he was. And he's also kind of been an enigma to a certain extent because unlike a lot of other famous sports icons, he's never really been in the news. Like when he retired, he kind of disappeared and he doesn't really do talk shows and he doesn't really, you know, write books and he doesn't really talk about his personal life. And so he just kind of went away. And so um, just now see him talking about these things is really interesting for a lot of people. But but which retirement are you talking about? <laughs> the one that's, well, I guess he retired a couple of times, but when he was not playing professionally, he was not in the public eye um, for the most part. Um, and so uh, it's definitely a, an interesting story to, to do and to kind of feel some of that attention that we normally would look at sports. So um, it's kind of interesting that right now, you know, possibly two of the greatest athletes of all time, Tom Brady and Michael Jordan are the two biggest stories in sports. And there's no sports to be talked about. Have you been watching the documentary, Luke? Uh, I've watched some of it, not all of it up to this point. Um, I think they're out airing it in two hour uh, segments every Sunday on ESPN. Um, but it's pretty good. I mean, definitely very nostalgic for any 90s kids. Um, if you remember growing up in that era and, you know, the starter jackets and just everything that was 90s and the Chicago Bulls and um, all the glory that was was there in that era. Um, but so it's, it's, it's interesting to watch. It's interesting to kind of relive some of those moments. Sure. Yeah, it's like the... I mean, the other the other thing that sports team from the 90s, right, it's like the Dallas Cowboys. You had the Chicago Bulls and the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> yeah, America's teams, right? And so all of that's kind of, you know, I guess changed to a certain extent. But, you know, it's definitely interesting how intertwined the stories of sports and sports teams become with, you know, just American popular culture, American politics in general. And it's definitely something I like to talk about. Um, though Jen, uh, like I said earlier, uh, bans me from talking about it on the show. Um, unless it's about volleyball, I'm up for more volleyball talk. Yeah, we. If I mean, if we if we get sick of talking about COVID nineteen at some point, we can just make this a volleyball uh, volleyball podcast show. So I'm very interested in watching this documentary. I think you know Michael Jordan is such a massive figure in basketball, and I think almost unlike you know the NFL or the MLB, well maybe the MLB. But like Michael Jordan was such a figure, like massive figure in the NBA, right? And so I, I think it's really interesting to kind of revisit some of the events or, or hit the impact he made on the sport. Well, and probably a lot of NBA fans, I mean, Americans, people generally, just because we're all kind of looking for something else to focus on right now. Uh, but especially probably NBA fans, especially uh, given Kobe Bryant's death earlier this year. And, you know, there's a lot of nostalgia and Kobe, you know, kind of started picking up where Jordan left off. They did overlap briefly. But, uh, yeah, it's I, I, I'll, I'll be interested to to watch that and, and catch up on it in the uh, in the coming weeks. Kobe Bryant, before his death, did record some interviews for the uh, documentary. So um, he is in the documentary um, giving his thoughts on Michael Jordan's career. So I think a lot of people have been lo really looking forward to that aspect of it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching it. And uh, I think we're going to leave it there for today on The Big Tent. And uh, we'll check back in with you next week for another exciting episode. Take care.